Welcome to the Hellraiser Podcast. Hello there. Welcome to episode 43 of the Hellraiser Podcast. I'm Peter and with me once more is Phil. Hello. Hi there. Hi. And today we're going to do the last seven stories in the Hellbound Hearts book of short stories. Mm. So we're going to finish the book today. Now while we're on the subject of books and short stories and stories and books... There's some exciting news in the Hellraiser world at the moment mm. that you might not be aware of. You probably are, but I'm going to tell you anyway. They're doing Hellraiser remake. Well, apparently yeah, there they are. But is that no? I haven't not... heard much more about that. Right. Clive Barker's apparently involved in it. Ooh. He's writing something or other to do with it. That's good. So we keep saying, or someone keeps saying. Right. We'll have to wait and see about that one. Okay. But this is to do with a written book, a novel mm. that's coming out very soon called The Scarlet Gospels. <laughs> yeah. So basically, Clive Barker wrote one of his short stories in the Books of Blood, The Last Illusion, featuring a character called Harry Damore, which of course was made into the film Lord of Illusions with Scott Bakula. Brilliant film. Brilliant, really brilliant. He then wrote two novels, Clive Barker, not Scott Bakula. He wrote two novels, the first two in the art trilogy, so they say, the Books of the Art. The first one's called The Great and Secret Show, and the second one is called Everville. And this new book that's coming out very soon... It's called The Scarlet Gospels and will feature Harry Damore and also Pinhead. It's going to feature the Hellraiser mythos in his last book of the art. And this is the first time he's written about Pinhead or written the character of Pinhead since 1987 when he wrote Hellraiser. I am so excited. So that's brilliant. So we're very excited. So in a couple of podcasts time, we think we're going to do a podcast about the first two books of the Books of the Art. The Great and Secret Show and Everville, and then we'll do one all about Scarlet Gospels when we've read it. Yeah. Because we were sitting through one before we've read it. That'd be foolish. Yeah. No, no. So you should all go out right now and read The Great and Secret Show and Everville. And you should also have read The Last Illusion already. So do that. Do it. Right. Now, on with Hellbound Hearts. Mm-hmm. So the first story we're talking about today is Only the Blind Survive mm. by Yvonne Navarro. We've got to say at this point, any of the names that we're mispronouncing... <laughs> yes, yeah, uh, sorry. Apologies. Because this one is set in... It's Native American style, so a lot of the names we're probably going to butcher now. But we're going to have a go anyway. It's about two characters called Wickvaya and his bride-to-be, Chuck Wayner. Chuck Wayner. Chuck Wayner? <laughs> we'll go with that. That's what it says. <laughs> okay, anyway. Now, Wickvaya finds, the very beginning of the story... A sand painting. Lots of textures in the sand making themselves into a picture and he can't help but look at it and he loses hours of the day. And he gets a bit freaked out because he knows what this is, even though we don't yet. Mm. And he runs home to tell everyone. Yeah, well, interestingly, he's warned, isn't he, by like a spirit guide in mm. the form of an eagle Yeah, that kind of wakes him up out of the trance and says, mm-hmm. get, get on with it, mate. Yeah, because there's something rather bad happening. Mm. There's a demon about to come from hell. So straight away, this is this is pretty cool. Yeah, definitely. It? Yeah, like, it's like nothing like the others, and it's. I mean, it's the it's the familiar kind of thing of you know not just a box. There's different ways to mm. open up portals to yeah, definitely. Hell. Um, but yeah, I like this. I like this setup. It is. It's really nice. And he runs home saying he's seen the gate of evil, and they say, Are "You sure?" And says, "It says the stories have always foretold an image in the sand that forms by itself." created by something unseen mm. and he says it called to him and he lost hours of his life and they get a bit freaked out and start talking about the dark prophecy 
There's obviously something that's happened before, and so it will happen again. Because basically, it's the gate to the underworld, they say. This means that the gate is being opened, and they can rush to it and try and stop it before it opens. They're the spirit warriors. Yeah. And they must get to it before a beast comes through. Because according to the legend, a beast will arise through the gate and will kill everyone. But Ooh. only if the people can see it. He says the village must be rendered sightless. Legend says any beast that comes through cannot harm those who cannot see it. So basically, if you can see it, it can see you. Yes. And it can't if you can't. So the whole village has I to... Love it. I love setups like yeah. this. I love it. <laughs> Render themselves sightless. And they have to put things over their eyes. Yeah. Which I'm sure will work out perfectly you fine. You love it, because you know, <laughs> you know what's going to happen. So Jack Weiner is his bride-to-be. All of a sudden he rushes in saying, right, everyone's got to blind themselves. And she's not quite sure that he's telling well, the truth. Well, put a blindfold on. Well, yeah. I don't mean <laughs> rip, rip their eyes out. Yeah, yeah. They've got to put blindfolds over their eyes. Because mm-hmm. she's going through a bit of a ritual... Isn't mm. she? She's going to be married to him, and she's um, got to be with his grandmother, yeah. uh, performing sort of. Home, Who's the the homely. matriarch of the yeah. whole tribe? Basically, she's going to become the matriarch one day because of this. So she's got to kind of be doing grinding corn and stuff at home um, mm. before their marriage. Uh, so now she starts thinking, "Well, this is just him trying to get out of us getting married." Yeah, she's she, all yeah. just she thinks rubbish. It's, yeah, prank. Because he doesn't want to marry I'm here with a blindfold on and everyone else is having a laugh. (laughs) And they're all saying, the whole village has to do this. And then she's saying, but we're in this little hut on our own. How do I know that everyone else is doing it? Um, And then obviously you've got the kind of, the theme coming in here of all this like, oh, spirit warriors, all this stuff, the old old tribe, whatever. You know, I'm not interested in that. We need to be modern. We need to, um, Mm -hmm. you know, move forwards and stuff. So that's quite interesting. Yeah. And there are four, it's written there are four spirit warriors can defeat the creature if the gate's not closed and the creature comes through. And it's going to destroy the world with fire, so it says. Right. So are we saying this is a Cenobite then? It's going to come through. Well, is it I don't, a precursor to a Cenobite? I don't know if it's a Cenobite, because Cenobites don't just arrive and then burn everyone to death, do they? They're, they're more ordered than that. Well, I don't know. Unless this is set way in the past. It's interesting, it's... isn't it, to think about, because, you know, I, I in my head, this was set way in the past. Yeah. Uh, as in way, way in the past. And it's almost as in this is uh, like an early type of Cenobite. Yes, yeah, before hell ordered itself, maybe. Um, perhaps. Hmm. Nothing to indicate that in the text, but you know that's no. But it's a nice thing to think. That's, I I did think it was set in the past as well. And she's she thinks that it's a, a story made up by the elders to scare children into behaving. She says. So the spirit warriors uh, leave the village and go to fight the beast, and uh, they get to the sand painting and realize it's sort of it's opened, as it were. Mm-hmm. The, the beast is is out. It is unfortunately it's gone. Mm-hmm. Now it leaves a trail, so. They know it's gone back to the village, so they're all like, right, we've got to get back. But everyone's going to be safe, mm-hmm. because they've all got their blindfolds on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we think, however, mm-hmm. unfortunately, Chuck Weiner has realised, or thinks, this is all complete nonsense. Yeah. So she reaches up, what does she do? Mm. She takes off her blindfold. Oh dear. Oh dear. So the Spirit Warriors come back, they see this creature going yeah. into... The hut. It's described as, it looked like the sandy dirt had become a living entity crisscrossed with horrid sunken veins. Mm. Yeah. Horrible. Nice. And it goes in and they rush in as well. Unfortunately, there she is looking at it, which means it can see her. Yeah. Oh dear. 
And she realises in her last minute, this is a nice detail, she realises as the blindfold comes off that she was stupid not to listen. Yeah. Uh, but she doesn't, mm-hmm. she tries not to make a sound because the grandmother yeah. could take her blindfold off mm-hmm. to try and help her. Yeah, that's really so that's nice. nice. That's a really nice thought, yeah. Yeah, it's a thought that counts. <laughs> and then this thing comes in and it's described, it's basically like a big desert monster. Hungry eyes filled with dark shifting sand above her mouth that had cactus needles for teeth. Needles were long as her thumb and purple like the plentiful prickly pear spines of the height of summer. Mm. It's got a black forked tongue as well. A bit like many things we've seen in Hellraiser films. Mm. With their strange CGI tongues in yes. Inferno. Yes. Um, so yeah, so she's basically... This is horrible where it kind of grabs hold of her. Yeah, and it's all made of sort of cactus. And it's craving for the moisture within her body. Yeah. Well, uh, he's a bit... Parched, bless him. Yes. He's always made of sand. I'm feeling a bit dry. Cacti. So, yeah, it sinks the ends of its fingers into her shoulders. Yeah. It's like basically cactus needles going into her. Mm -hmm. She tries to pull away. She opens her mouth. And then the creature closes its cactus spine-covered mouth over her lips. Mm. Uh, But just at this point, the spirit warriors jump in. Hooray! Hooray! And they stab it in the back with a spear. And uh, it doesn't work. But they try it again, and it doesn't quite work. It's quite hardcore, this monster. It is, it is. Um, but they're all having a go at it, with all their different weapons. Oh, she drops to the floor, her mouth seeping blood from a hundred punches. I know, it's horrible. Yeah. And, after that, the barbed ends of cactus spines protruded from her bottom half of her face. Oh. Yeah. So all his spines are coming out, which is horrible. Mm. So then there's a bit of a fight going on. Yep. They've got spears and arrows, and they're fighting with everything they've got. Yeah, and this is really good, because, you know, they're really going for it here, and they're, mm. they're doing everything they can, and it's not doing anything. The really. descriptions are really good. It's really action-packed. You can really see this happening as you're reading it. Yeah. It's great. And then as they're attacking it, the weird things are happening to the creature. A mixture of sand and rancid oil abruptly oozed from the chest puncture. So it, it is bleeding, or something's happening to it, so they know they're doing it some damage. So they carry on. And basically, saving the day... One of the spirit warriors uh, with the bow yeah. shoots it in the face mm-hmm. and it dies, uh, but it takes him with it. Yeah, yeah. the youngest the youngest warrior. Oh. Yeah, uh, I love that. And to the end, the horrible creature never let go of its prickly, terrible smile. Yes. <laughs> so there nice. you go. Horrific. And then Chuck Weiner starts saying that, uh, well, carrying on with the, the wedding. So they're still going to carry on with the wedding, even though she's quite deformed and she's had her face bitten. They're going to carry on with the, the ritual and the ceremony. But there's a bit of a twist at the end. Yeah. So she's essentially going to become the matriarch of the village now. Mm. And basically, we are let in on the fact that um, it's the demon's gone into her. You know, she's yeah. not herself. When it was latched onto her, it left something in her. Yeah. So she's now kind of like, we're going to get rid of all these spirit warriors, all this old rubbish. Yeah. The modern world will come through and nobody will be going stopping the... Uh, Looking for the uh, sand paintings anymore, which is a lovely little twist at the end. Yeah, and it ends with her making sure to blink away the dark swells of sand that gathered in the corners of her eyes. So what do you think? I like this one. Yeah. Yeah, I like this one very much. liked it from the very first time I read it, and I still like it when I reread it. Yeah. It's a good one. It's very um, evocative, and I will keep saying that word when we do these <laughs> stories, but it is. It is. It's really good, and it's action-packed. You can see it happening, and I didn't see the twist coming, 
the first time I read it, I thought that was a nice little moment. Mm. And it's nice that, well, until the very end, you do think that good's triumphed over evil, which doesn't happen in most of these stories. Yes. As most horror stories, you often get evil triumphing or coming back at the end. Yeah. And when they kill the beast, you kind of think, even though it's killed one of their warriors, it is triumphant. And with, with you know, with Hellraiser and with the Cenobites and stuff, you there's always got to be a sacrifice, hasn't there? You know mm. you know that if they're going back to hell, and it, it, as with this one, you know, where it was smiling, yeah, it, it's kind of giving in rather than, you know, it's going, okay, I'll yeah, take cause, this one. Because it might just back be going to hell with back me. to hell and, you know, yeah. and then he's fine. He can come out again the next time there's another portal opening. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, so, yeah, good, really good story. Yeah, we like this one. Mm. Excellent. Right, moving on. The next one is Mother's Ruin by Mark Morris. Mm-hmm-hmm. So this one is really messed up. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It's really good. Yeah, it's really messed up in a really good way. We both really like this one. Yeah. Um, but it's not for the faint-hearted. It's not for the faint-hearted at all. Uh, I can really see the characters in this story, the mm. way that they're described. Yeah, me they too. They just look... Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the main character is called Elliot. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Elliot Spencer. It's not him. It's someone it's else. It's not him. It's some big fat guy who's pretty messed up. <laughs> yeah. So Elliot works in a library, and the story begins with two uh, an old couple. Yeah. Coming in. She's pushing a man in a wheelchair, mm. dressed in a blue nurse's uniform. And this is quite. This is. I mean, it's from the beginning. It's nicely described, and it's horrible. Mottled greyish skin. And uh, sagging eyes and slack, rubbery lips. Immediately you're going, oh, what's going on here? Yeah, black spectacles that closely remember aviator goggles. Yeah. I, I, it really, this, this description for some reason really reminds me of the, the scientist from The Nightmare Before Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, horrible um, couple. Mm-hmm. And uh, the guy is just chewing on his fists and sort of drooling and chattering to himself. Yeah, rubbery skin. <laughs> yeah. Uh, horrible odour, hospital smell of chemicals and yeah. sickness. Uh, and he doesn't like them. <laughs> he feels sick. Yes. Now, at this point, I mean, you don't know who Elliot is yet. And I remember reading this for the first time, and the whole beginning of this story, I was really sympathetic towards him, thinking, oh, he's a lovely man, and these horrible people have come in. Mm. But as we find out in a moment, he's not a lovely man. And they give him some books back, and they say, oh, we're going to return these books but we're not paying the fine. We've got yeah. no money. Yeah. And he's a bit like, okay, well, maybe I should just get rid of these people as quick as I can. Um, and this little exchange here, if you read the story, the exchange with the woman and, and Elliot, if you read the story to the end mm. and then reread it, this exchange takes on a whole different yeah. twist. Um, yeah, so yeah, let's so... talk about that now. Let's go straight to the end. Yeah, so basically... Let's just jump all around this one. As we know... At the end, this this old couple is are his parents. Yeah, who were who got sucked into hell when yeah. he was a baby, um, and so they have to tempt him. Mm. So he's lived for forty years. They have to tempt him. So that's this, the deal they made. Yeah. yeah, this sort of exchange here, where she's kind of giving them the book and seems quite off with him and quite weird and yeah. speaking strangely. You can then read it with the implication that she's kind of really hoping that he's not going to go for it and she's kind of almost trying not to say it mm-hmm. you know she speaks in a strangely muffled voice we're paying no fines we've got no money you know and she just says that twice yeah and it just the way it's written I just obviously you're putting it onto it but you, you, you're you like oh you know she doesn't want to you know she wants him to sort of 
just chuck the book in the bin or whatever. And and she's just got to give him these books, yeah, could say be, these yeah. words, and then it's up to him. And she's really hoping that he'll just throw him in the bin, yeah, and not get involved. Because they're they're at the end they're kind of almost corpses, aren't they? Just like scraps of skin and brain yeah. and stuff. Well, so. the dad is definitely yeah, He's like bits of human on a chain. So <laughs> so. Yeah, they've kind of been recombined for this little yeah. mission. But he does recognise her at the end, so... Mm. Um, so, I just love the descriptions, you know, a dank yeah. odour. It's barely horrible. preferable to the operating theatre stench of the couple. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. And this book is all horrible and scaly and... Yeah. There's a few books. They are The Doorways to Hidden Realms, a treatise on summoning magics, Configuration to the Endless Kingdom... Beyond the Veil of Night, a warning to the unwary. <laughs> so this is like my ultimate favourite stuff. I love <laughs> it. I love it when yeah. you've got weird old books that people were studying, you know, mm-hmm. to go into a different realm and stuff yeah. like that. So this is brilliant because this couple have obviously done this and they've ended up opening a portal to hell. Yeah. To our Cenobite chums. And then they discover that uh, this these books were due back on... In 1969. <laughs> yeah. So they are a, yeah. Bit, a bit overdue. Yeah. Yeah, so the parents got these books out of the library. They worked out how to open the portal. They got sucked through and... Oh, is it they must have taken the books with them? <laughs> yeah. And at this point, the Cenobite said, you better return these, really. Yes. <laughs> it's been a while. So I guess in this story, it is that the, again, a different... Rather than having the box, it's these books that are... Yeah. So you get the feeling that they... They circulate throughout the years, you know. They're available mm. for people to yeah, take and definitely uh, bring victims to the Cenobites. So he grabs the books and then says, "Well, let's just not worry about it, and maybe you should go away." She says, uh, "When he says anything else, I can help you with." She says, "We've done our duty. It's up to you now." And yeah. he says, "Yep, yeah, it's up to me." And so, yeah, at the beginning, we just think she's being a bit weird, but we know from the end that she's saying. What happens to you from now on, it's up to you. Yeah. And then she goes to touch him and then she hisses as if in sudden pain, snatches her hand away and then just leaves. So is that, do you think, an indicator of this control that she was going I think to stroke so, yeah. his I face? I think she wants to touch him and then they're like, oi. Yeah, and they, and they the hurt bike her. Kind of burn, they burn, burn her, hands. yeah. Yeah, it could be. Um, but obviously when you read that the first time, you're like, oh, yeah. whoa, She's this weird really person creepy. that wants to touch him. Yeah. It is. It's really creepy. Yeah. Yeah, the first time you read it, it's really creepy. The second time you read it, it's really sad. Yes. Yeah. So anyway, so he's, he's just about to throw them away. Mm-hmm. And then something falls out of one of them, a card, which um, has something rather kinky on it. Well, here we go. Because we, we start getting into <laughs> his um, character here, where yeah. it says he finds it difficult to understand what people's emotions are all about yeah he's basically a bit of a sociopath isn't he really yeah he just um doesn't really know about friendships or laughing or anything like that none mm-hmm. of that is anything no no interest to him the only things that are of interest to him are sex and pain pain yep. and sex that's it yeah and this car that he finds that's basically what's on it yeah and then there, there's a sort of very awkward horrible scene where he's kind of getting aroused thinking about um, all this stuff of people with high heels yeah. just trampling on him and stuff and yeah. um, he's thinking about um, this woman which we later find out is a prostitute that he mm-hmm. sleeps with mm-hmm. uh, and his manager turns up and kind of is just like what are you doing? Yeah. He's um, like oh nothing I've, I've got a headache. 
So that's interesting. So here's a question for you then. He's got this uh, predilection for this sort of, you know, kinky sex and yeah. stuff and pain. Mm-hmm. Um, wh- where do you think that came from? Because that's well, obviously linked up to the Cenobites and, and what's going on with them. You could argue that it's hereditary. And his parents obviously had it because they went looking for this portal to hell. Mm-hmm. So maybe in some way it's passed down through DNA or something. Because mm. he's only a, a baby, I think, when they got yeah, taken exactly. away. That's what I mean. So it's not like they taught him to do it. No. So it's either implying that it's either DNA passed down through the parents or... Somehow the Cenobites have been watching him for 40 years and putting little things in his mind, maybe. Mm. Whispering things in his dreams. Yeah. Possibly. So it's interesting. So I don't know. You don't know where it came from. Or you know that it is there. He's a chip off the block. He is. <laughs> Isn't yeah. he? Yeah. Um, so yeah, basically he takes the books. Mm. And then he goes home and he gives Chloe a call because he wants her to come and do stuff to him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but she's really ill. She's saying she's got gastric flu, and this is quite graphic, this conversation. <laughs> she basically says that she's um, got it coming out of both ends. And he's mm. like, I don't care, I'll pay more. And she's like, you're weird. And she hangs up. Yeah, and just every sort of paragraph is full of <laughs> amazing sort of description. And, yeah. you know, you really get this. It's all really grim. You know, and she's kind of trying to do her best to be nice to him. Yeah, and But it's... obviously she really despises him. And, yeah. And all this kind of thing. And he's completely selfish and doesn't give a damn that she's sick but it is beautifully written her sigh was like the sea dragging back over sharp stones <laughs> things like that it's great oh and just awful details where she, she's like been saying in the past like she doesn't want to come around to his flat because it smells so bad and she yeah he should brighten it up a bit and yeah. all this kind of thing and i'll open the windows open for a bit of fresh air and he's just like oh god <laughs> changing the sheets as it's all part of the service yeah oh god Horrible. So basically, and then it goes back about a little flashback about his parents disappearing. And it says that he only survived beyond his first few weeks because an elderly neighbour heard his cries, basically, and called the authority. So he was a, f- a few weeks old, basically. Yeah, and he was starving to death, basically, yeah. in, his, in his crib. And so now we get into this card that he's found. This is the first time that it actually describes what's on the card, mm-hmm. which is a girl with spikes coming out of her tongue, needles like porcupine spines, and an erect penis in front of her, which she's been... Licking and it's got little scratches on it. Oh dear! <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so immediately you're like, "Oh, where are we going now?" Yeah. And there's a website, scartissue.co.uk, and he gets a bit aroused by this and what goes online to find the website, and there are lots of pictures there. So yeah, and this is great as well. I mean, I love this kind of idea of you start off with the kind of old dusty books that bring you to this secret mm. knowledge and then you go to the modern world where you've got like websites now that kind of yeah. take you to these kind of bizarre things yeah it's great that the uh, the modern authors are, are just really like hell world taking it just like hell world <laughs> <laughs> no no it's not like hell world. no, no. But it's good it, it says that he, does, he couldn't remember typing in the address which didn't matter so either he did it without thinking or he didn't and someone else is sort of making him do these things yeah so he's watching all this stuff, and, and these pictures, a lot of them that are described, and a lot of these things we find out later on are all all happen. Yeah, they're all real things. So they've all happened happen to other people. To people. Already. Yeah, yeah, nasty. And then it's, the screen starts, starts to go all funny, and it, it's going away. Mm. But there is an address on the screen which he has to quickly write down before it goes away. Mm. 
There's a nice moment. He grabs, grabs a pen, nothing, nowhere to write on, so he writes on the screen itself. Yeah, that's cool. And then he goes to the address. He has to go there. He has to see what's going on. Yeah. And now, this actually reminds me of Dedder, this bit. <laughs> he gets the cab to this abandoned warehouse. And yeah. He can't get in. It's all locked. Yeah. The difference here is, of course, he finds a door, knocks on it, and it opens straight away. Mm. And he's allowed in. How far do you want to go? He says, all the way. Oh, God. And just, the, again, there's all these descriptions of, like, smells coming out. Yeah. Oh, it's all dark. And, and he's all sweaty. Are you quite certain of that? Yes. Well, then. <laughs> Light comes on. There was a smell. An abattoir reek of hot blood mingled with the heady, salty tang of sex. Um. So, yes, light comes on and there's a woman naked, except for a black hood. Yeah. And a multitude of bodily piercings. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. So he thinks, well, I've and come to the right place. And she's got a blade in each hand. Yes. <laughs> and he's got a massive hard on by this point. <laughs> and it says, it's almost as if he's being led by his straining cock, as it says here. Yeah. Yeah, and he's <laughs> wheezing and sweating. It's a really horrible image. It's you can picture him. You just, really can. It's just amazingly written. And um, <laughs> yeah, so then she cuts all his clothes off and obviously cuts yeah. him as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's kind of gasping and. He, she leads him along barefoot across a carpet of upstanding razor blades. I know. Ha! Yeah. Oh, bare Never feet. known such agony. Oh, dear. It was already too much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he wanted it to stop. And yet a part of him craved to go further. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah. And then it just gets even worse. She kicks him in the belly and then shoves her vagina in his face. And when he tries to lick it, it bites off the end of his tongue. <laughs> Ugh. Yeah, lovely stuff. Now uh, we won't go through everything that happens to him. You'd have to read it for yourself for that because it is all pretty amazing and graphic. It is. I mean, it's it's brilliant uh, in terms of Hellraiser it style. <laughs> you yeah, know. it's very Clive Barker as well. It's, it's stuff that obviously you couldn't film. <laughs> all of it. No, I don't think so. And um, no, it's it's sex and pain mingled, which is just what he wanted. It is what he wanted. A bit and more. You totally get that feeling of like, oh, wait a minute, maybe I didn't know what I wanted. <laughs> yeah. But after all the horrible things happen, he's there strung out and he's thinking, oh, okay, at least it's going to be over soon. At least I'll die soon. Yeah. He wants to die yeah. at this point because he's completely wrecked. Mm-hmm. And then... And then they've had him up against the wall and when they bring him down, the blood from his back has made some kind of an impression on the wall. Yeah. And this is really cool. So it's made as sort of a portal... Yeah. On the wall yeah. with blood, which of course the Cenobite comes through. I love this. There's a crack and a rush of cold air that smelled of sour milk. <laughs> and this female creature turns up, heavily pregnant, but keeps giving birth to horrible babies. Yeah, six breasts. <laughs> yep, six breasts. Yeah, oh. this is. She's the matriarch. Yeah. And she gives birth to these babies, splashing to the floor in a muck of blood and black slime. And then immediately gets pregnant again. And then she says she she collects children. She's mm. here for him. And then he says, I'm not a child. And then all of a sudden we find out that Matriarch's holding two chains. And this is where we have in one the sliver of dad, sliver of brain and eye, withered limb, thin sack of skin containing a feebly beating heart. But the other one he does recognise as being human mm. and it's the woman in the library yeah it's like yeah well here are your parents so there you go and then we have the uh, the classic kind of bargain thing where mm-hmm. they 
they basically pleaded for his life and said, listen, you know, she said, okay, well, he can have 40 years. Yeah, and, and then you have to tempt him. You tempt him. And if he doesn't go for it, fine, we'll leave him alone. If he does, he's coming here with us. Unfortunately, he, he chose for to. it. Yeah. And um, I mean, that's brilliant that she loves the fact that the parents caused his downfall. You know, that's yeah. even better. It's yeah. even more torture. Torment for them. Mm. And that's it. Then it ends with him becoming part of the one big happy family. One big happy family. Um, brilliant story. Yeah, it is brilliant. Really good. Um, really well written. Very descriptive and mm-hmm. really uh, gross. In a yeah. good way. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Excellent. Well done. Well done. Moving on to another brilliant story that is also quite horrible in a wonderful way. Yeah. Sister Celise by Barbie Wilde. The podcast. You downloaded it. We came. So, of course, Barbie Wilde played the female Cenobite in Hellbound, Hellraiser 2. Mm. And what we have now from her, her short story, is a backstory to that character. Yeah, which is really exciting. Brilliant. And it turns out the female Cenobite began life as a nun. Well, she was a baby first, but she became (laughs) a nun. Yes. Sister Nicoletta we're talking about now. Yeah. But she says it was the only option to her, basically, to be a nun. Mm -hmm. The one way to cleanse her heart of the many sins her parents were convinced she had committed. So another person fucked up by their parents basically yeah and it's i mean again this is another beautifully written story oh yeah um and just these little details that she's put in there that barbie's put in there that just Mm. tell you so much yeah yeah this one's very descriptive there's not much dialogue and i really like that about it Mm. and she remembers one of the priests saying loved be pain sanctified be pain glorified be pain and so she's that's what she clings on to that's what she likes and she whips herself Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> and that's not all. So basically, she has a lot of depraved sexual thoughts, which she realises she shouldn't have as a nun. So to get rid of them, or to punish herself, she starts to whip herself, but then the whip also becomes a sexual object to her. Yeah, and this is just, just again, brilliantly written. Yeah, uh, it really is. You know, she's fixating on one of the uh, Father Xavier's... Mm-hmm. Uh, Father Xavier is his name at the nunnery, and... She's fixated completely on him. Because he's so handsome, so virile. He's so so handsome and virile. All the others are old men. Yeah, and uh, just brilliant, isn't it? Like um, when he kind of um, gives her the host and he accidentally, mm. you know, slightly touches her and yeah, she's kind of like... Great. Oh, well, fantastic, you know, and really evocative. Yeah. And she <laughs> she mortified her bare flesh until she bled, but that didn't... Chase the thoughts of the good father away and made her suffering more sensual. Mm. Do you imagine it's him beating her? Yeah. So, yeah, so she's in her little um, stone cell of a room. Yeah. Uh, whipping herself. Whipping herself and also using the other end of the, the whip, the handle, inside herself, making herself come with it. Yeah. And imagining that it's the father again. She's also using a silice, mm-hmm. which is a little um, small... Uh, item that you put around your leg or yeah. a limb with little you. inwardly pointing hooks yeah. and spikes, which is a real object, isn't it? Yeah, it's a real object. It was used. Um, I believe it was, it was also referenced in the Da Vinci Code, yeah, for those of you who <laughs> saw Indeed. that. Um, so yeah, so she's um, basically got, she's one, got one of these on all on the time yeah. so that she can always be in pain. As tight as she can without cutting off circulation. Yeah, because mm. yeah, it's ironic that the only person that she could confess to is... 
Father Xavier, and she can't because it's mainly about him she's thinking about. <laughs> yeah. So it, this is just as she's stuck in this cycle here where she's, yeah. you know, everything she's doing mm-hmm. is wrong and she can't get out of it. And she needs something to calm her mind, calm herself down. So she asked to go and work in the library archives. Mm. Sounds nice, doesn't it? It's a good idea. Relaxing. That'll chill her out. Yeah. Unfortunately, of course, the old ancient manuscript rears its ugly head. Yes! <laughs> and there she finds it. And this is brilliant. The box yeah. uh, with dead beetles, uh, blood red dried roses and a mm. dusty mummified crow. Yeah. Amazing. It's horrible stuff. Mm. So we have a, a new uh, book here into yep. Gateway into Hell. The Grimorium Enochia. Is so that right? She's, Do you think? Mm, Barbie will tell us, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> written in the 15th century by Raphael Athanasius, who I think has been used again by other authors. Uh-huh. So he's part of the uh, part of the proper canon now, part of the mythos. Mm-hmm. And it's all in Latin, though. Luckily, she's a nun. She can translate it. Yes. <laughs> so she, she spends, spends a long time doing it. She does spend a long time. But luckily, she likes it because it's taken her mind off her profane imaginings. Yeah. Um, Unfortunately, Athanasius was, well, it says here, an alchemist, necromancer and cryptographer. Yeah, and they've uh, mixed him in with real history here with uh, Jules de Ray, mm-hmm. um, real serial killer and uh, yeah. mass murderer. So here we go. The invocation's written down, a pathway into another dimension. So this is how you can summon the portal to hell and come across the Cenobites. And this is great because, you know, and this is why it's very clever what Barbie's done here because she, the character is getting the information mm. you know she knows what's going to happen yeah uh which yeah. is very satisfying because you know what's going to happen to her mm-hmm. in the end definitely know? so that's that's and a really good and way it's of not doing it. another person doing it by accident yes it's nice that she's actually going after it herself yeah and she does and she eventually manages to do it yeah but it's nice it goes into nice details of how she actually has to do the ritual here just to get blood which is a nice moment yeah, I mean, it's good, and this is borne out in pretty much every other Hellraiser uh, story or anything connected with it. The most essential and vital ingredient for success, the overwhelming desire to invoke the schism that would allow yeah. the Cenobites to enter this realm. Definitely. You know, that's it. It's all about the desire, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, so you can get all your bits together, you can put your blood down and surround yourself with doves. <laughs> Tray of doves' heads. Tray of doves' heads. But you need the desire, otherwise it's not going to work. So she's got the uh, found the terminally sick child and got a pint of his blood, <laughs> furtively. Yeah. For at the fourth hour after midnight, it says. So it's mm-hmm. very specific. Mm-hmm. Which of course she has to mi- mix some of her own menstrual blood with. Of course. And then she adds her own scourge and silice as personal decorations. So brilliant! I love all this. I love rituals and stuff like that. This is all very, very, very cool. And then what happens? The bell starts to toll. So she she speaks the invocation, mm-hmm. and the order of the gash arrive. <laughs> and this is amazing because you know she this is it. She wants to be destroyed and remade again in mm. the image of the order of the gash. So she absolutely yeah. knows what she's getting into. Definitely. And a tall male cenobite enters with some others, but she doesn't care about the others. It's this one tall male one that she likes because he's got scars, lacerations, but also. He's holding a black leather and steel-capped cat of nine tails. So she's thinking, oh, here we go, this is for me. And this is great because, you know, it's very well written in terms of the description of him because 
he sounds sufficiently horrific, mm. but he also sounds beautiful in, in that yes. dark and evil way. You know, he, yeah, he does. You can see why she would be completely enraptured by him. Mm-hmm. And his arms wrapped in multiple silices and razor sharp spikes poking into his flesh, that sort of thing. Barbed wire. I love that. The, uh, the cat of nine tails, a special gift just for her. <laughs> yeah. And she's like, hey, I'm here. Come take me. Yeah. Which I'm sure they don't get very often. People just submitting to them completely when they turn up. Well, it's great. I mean, I mean this does happen as well in, in some, other, some of the other stuff where they, they turn up and they're almost sometimes ready for the particular person, you know. Mm. They, oh, yeah, 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 yeah to, definitely. To, to do something particular yeah. for them. Yeah, this this woman's being summoning us up. Who should we, who should we give her? Um, what about old Cat and Nine Tails? Cat and Nine Tails, he's ready. Um, I love this description as well. <laughs> Rip, her clothes and veil ripped off and flew into the darkness like an enormous demented crow. <laughs> it's brilliant. <laughs> brilliant. Um, so, yeah, so she's saying, take me, make me one of you. Mm-hmm. They're saying, are you sure? She said, yes, with all my heart. And then... Yeah, I mean, you've just got to read this for yourself, really. The, <laughs> what happens to it's her brilliant. is amazing. It's really well written in terms of that it, it completely corresponds with what happens in the film, mm-hmm. uh, within in the Hellbound Heart book. Um, you know, the kind of thing of that her body becomes ultra-sensitive and every yeah. little bit of dust that lands on her, as well as being stabbed and burned. And mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. Amazing. And um, But at the same time, you've got the Cenobite... You know, with his cat and nine tails as well, and hooks digging into her. I just, yeah, the descriptions are really, and again, it's it is showing you kind of what happens in hell, and and it it's well written in the way that it doesn't seem tedious and kind of like, oh, you go to hell and you get tortured and it's horrible. It it did make me go, wow, imagine this happening to you forever yeah. and ever and ever. She's really enjoying oh, it. God, uh, she's loving it. And they love it. The other Cenobites are applauding. They're applauding. I love that. They haven't seen anything this entertaining in ages. Yeah. That's brilliant. That's lovely. Um, and she just wants to be like him. You know, she just yeah. wants to be mm-hmm. uh, a Cenobite. And then he gets a surgical scalpel and he creates the famous throat wound that we know from the actual the character of the female Cenobite. Yeah. Which, if you don't know, this is a an origin story. When you start reading this, this is the moment where you go, "Oh, hang on, that sounds like ah, yeah, absolutely." It's it's lovely, and the thin platinum wires through her cheeks that act as an anchor, hooking, pulling the skin away from her gaping wound. Yeah, brilliant. So the Cenobites are loving it. Mm-hmm. What a girl! <laughs> <laughs> Sister Nicoletta's adoration for mutilation, sensation, and agony would be legendary, even in hell. Yeah, brilliant. I like the fact that the uh, so the Cenobite entered her using every orifice, old and new. Yes. So he's, I've just made this thing in your throat. Do you mind if I... Uh... And that, you know, that's been talked about, obviously, yeah. online. And people have yeah. spoken about that before and, and brought that up in interviews. And I think it's brilliant that Barbie's just like, yeah, okay, I'll go there in this book. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll write in the story. Yeah, it's great. And we know from the first Hellraiser film, even though it's not Barbie playing the character, but she, there's a moment where the female Cenobite is touching her wound and almost mm. having an orgasm. Yeah, so it's, yeah, it's obviously a a nice part for her. <laughs> <laughs> and then she's there, she's there in the order of the gash. And this is just great, you know. She, everything's fantastic. She's there with Pinhead. It's a re- it's a uh, really positive story. This one isn't it's it? It's brilliant. It's brilliant. <laughs> and it, 
it really accurately, evocatively, and beautifully describes that transcendence that she's yeah. achieved through agony and sensuality. Mm-hmm. Um, amazing. And then it really ties into the the movie, the first film especially. She assists her leader in his work. They even finish each other's threats to those who dare call upon them. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's really great for fans of the of the first two films especially. This is just a wet dream. <laughs> it's lovely. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and it's also interesting that it sort of um, says about how because she's been there for so long, you know, this kind of what's happening, the the pain and stuff, no longer quite as good as it used to be. Mm. Uh, it doesn't give yeah. her quite the delight mm-hmm. for herself, but the delight in the pain of others, of others is truly yeah. enriching. Absolutely. So she's uh, she's the perfect Cenobite. She's no longer concerned about demons in her mind. She's a demon herself. And woe betide the mind that comes across her. Brilliant. So that's a really good one. Excellent. Thank you very much, Barbie. <laughs> yes. Yes, great stuff. Right, and next up we have Santos del Inferno. Inferno? Mm. Inferno? <laughs> Not quite sure how you pronounced that last word. By Jeffrey J. Marriott. So, this story is about a chap called Ron. Ron Marks, who isn't having a good time. No. Unfortunately. There was an accident early on. Where he's on the street, he's waiting for his wife and child to come home. And this truck careers around the corner. And there's a single mother with a stroller, an infant and a stroller. And, and he's worried that the truck's going to hit the family. So he rushes out saying, hey, stop. And because of that, the truck swerves to avoid the stroller. But smashes into his wife and child's car. Mm. Killing them. Yes. Um, so yeah, he set up as a very much a family man. You know, family. Yeah. Kind of the simple... Straightforward life is mm-hmm. what defines him. And he gets plunged into deep depression and he starts to booze and just everything loses. Well, he basically loses his life, really. Yeah, he gets a lot of money from he insurance does. policy. Yeah, so he doesn't have to work or anything. Uh, so yeah, he just uh, basically drinks all day mm-hmm. walking around. This is um, really interesting, this kind of thing of like he just gets a big picture and pours all the cheapest booze in it he can. Yeah. And mixes it up and drinks yeah, it, horrible. which is horrible. Mm-hmm. So, and that's very well written. The, the the whole kind of thing of him basically just he, he has to block out all these thoughts of his uh, yeah. family. No, it's 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 horrible, but it's really well written. Mm. And then the anniversary comes around, and he's not really aware of it, but subconsciously he is because he drinks more and more and more and more. And then there's a knock on the door, mm. and who is it? It's the guy who was driving the truck yeah. that killed his family. Yeah. And the reason he's not in prison, it says the, uh, he'd been charged with manslaughter, but a sharp lawyer managed to get him a deal, time served in community service. So there he is. And Ron tries to punch him, but misses because he's drunk, very drunk. Yes, and this guy is kind of saying his life was kind of wrecked as well. His mm-hmm. girlfriend left him, he lost his job, yeah. lost all of his friends, uh, was in prison for a little bit. Yeah, Ron's like, get out, I don't care. Yeah, and he said, "Hey, let me in." And he's this is Lenny Leonardo Montoya. Yeah, so he comes in, and Lenny it seems very nice at the moment. He's doing some nice things for Ron. He opens his curtains. He's a bit like Chloe used to did for um for Elliot in the, <laughs> the other story. Yes, today he makes him some food. He goes out buys some food, comes back and does some shopping. You know, does some cooking, spruces the place up a bit. Yeah, so for he's... days it says there for days. Yeah, basically he's because he's kind of going in and out of consciousness, Ron, and blackouts, mm. and mm-hmm. basically he's there talking to him, 
cooking him food, cleaning up the house. Yeah, we're brothers and, in pain, um, he says. Ron starts to sort of kind of drink a little bit less because, yeah. you know, he's got someone to talk to and listen to mm-hmm. and stuff. And then Lenny says, hey, we should go to uh, El Paso, a two-hour drive, go to a strip club. And Ron's like, what? I don't want to do that. And he says, no, nah, be fine. Come on, let's go. Yeah, interesting and, detail before that as well where Ron, when he kind of sobers up a little bit, realises that Lenny's basically living off his money. Yeah. He's yeah, in the yeah, house. Yeah. yeah, You know, he's like, I'm doing all this for you, but actually, mm-hmm. you know, he's using his insurance money to uh, yeah, to live. basically. But it turns out that Ron does quite enjoy the, the strip club. Yeah, he'd kind of forgotten all about sex and stuff, and then suddenly yeah. he uh, goes, hmm, okay. It says it was the first time he had truly felt in more than a year. Hmm. And now Lenny starts talking about... Here we go. Hmm. Well, I've heard of this other thing we can do. Yeah. Where you get all sorts of crazy things. Yeah, and so th- this is what Lenny's heard is... It's this kind of thing where you, you you know you go to this place and you can have anything that you want mm-hmm. sexually, uh, and obviously this being the Hellraiser book, you're kind of thinking, hmm, is he talking about the box and mm-hmm. hell and so on? And he does say in hell or something like that. Mm. So yeah, so he's uh, he's basically saying, look, we can go to this place that's kind of like hell or whatever, mm. but don't worry, it's all good. We can have anything we want. We just need these um, religious icons. Yeah, these santos. Yeah. Religious art objects, sculptures, paintings, any representation of the saints. So again, a different way of going to hell. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And this different is nice. Box. You've got to get seven of them and join them together, he says, into like a, like a puzzle. Mm-hmm. And not, these are real... not just any uh, depictions of saints, are they? No, they, I mean, they, these are real things. Um not the ones in the story, but uh, no. the real ones, the real saintly ones do exist. And mm-hmm. these are... Um, these ones are a bit more pornographic. Yeah, horrible Cenobite versions of them. Yeah. Yeah. And he's got one of them already. Yeah. He says. Yeah. And then he says that he actually killed someone to get it. He did. Uh, which Ron is a bit taken aback by. As you would be. Yeah. Yeah. At this point in the story, I'm kind of like, I don't know, I don't really like Lenny. <laughs> no, I don't like Lenny <laughs> either. I wish Lenny wasn't here. Yeah. But you're thinking, okay, so what's going to... They obviously don't know what they're getting into mm-hmm. here. Lenny thinks he knows the score, yeah. but he doesn't. So, he's got this Santo, 14 inches long, wooden carving. It's paint chipped and aged. And it's a woman, but she's spreading her legs... And from her open vagina slithered what Ron could only call a monster, black-snouted, many-toothed, with two tongues curling in different directions. Mm. So, yeah, pretty grim. Mm. And then they set off on the search. They've got to find more. They've got to find all seven. Yeah. You've got to collect them all. Yeah, and then he's putting it all forwards, very much like, I'm going to do you a favour. Yeah. I'm going to help you find these things, and mm-hmm. this will be great. And then, unfortunately, all of a sudden, mm-hmm. he says... I love this. He says... Um, <laughs> All the pleasures of hell, my man. The way I hear it, that crap about fire and pitchforks is bogus. Heaven sucks. Hell's where the fun people go. (laughs) (laughs) There's also a description of what the things, some of the things are, which is quite good fun. Yeah, yeah, there's lots of... uh... St. Agnes, whose spread fingers were shaped like erect phalluses. St. Nestor, a rare sitting santo with a giant candle jammed up his rectum, the exposed end flaming. They're all pretty uh, pretty full on. Yeah, and then all of a sudden he says, we've got one more to go, number seven, but I need your help. Yeah, and, you know, there's quite a long period of time elapses with Lenny yeah. going out, mm-hmm. taking lots of money to yeah. buy these things, and sometimes coming back 
obviously like he's had to do something really horrific to get With, it because he's got the money still yeah he's got the money yeah. still killed someone or whatever and the last one turns out is in a church mm. and they go into the church they're looking around and all of a sudden a priest turns up an ancient padre mm. his cassock and surplice filthy and torn yeah so you think hang on this guy sounds a bit odd yeah and, and he says get out yeah and he knows about the santo because he says that's not meant for the likes of you yeah so obviously it's definitely there and yeah. he knows about it and he grabs a candlestick and tries to hit them with it but Ron just grabs something a piece of the altar's broken leg and he just just defend himself and the priest trips and impales himself on it yeah he kills him he kills him by accident yeah, and Ron's like, I didn't mean to kill him. And he's like, yeah, never mind. <laughs> that was fucking awesome. Yeah. I killed a priest. Whatever. Yeah, it doesn't matter. It's fine. No loss. Let's look for the Santo. Yeah, so they find um, a sort of sarcophagus. Yeah. And uh, there it is. And it's fun that they find the Santo and it's wedged into the deceased rib cage. So they had to <laughs> work it out. It's horrible. And now he's got them. And then he tries to put them together, but he can't do it. They don't mm. connect, Phil. Yeah, so what do they do? Oh, and then they start arguing. Mm-hmm. This is bad. But then, the old padre turns up. He's back. A ragged hole in his chest. Yeah. And he takes his skin off. Yeah. Absolutely. And it turns out it's a Cenobite in yep. disguise. Uh, and they're referenced as Cenobites. Yep. In the Order of the Gash, mm-hmm. in the story as well. Great description, you know, stitched together, oh, it's uh, lovely, yeah. brass buttons sewn in place, yeah. extra eyeballs, mm-hmm. stitches everywhere, scent of vanilla. Yeah, that's back again. Hmm. He's called Buttons, this Cenobite. Hmm. Three thick stitches pinned his upper lip to his nose, similar needlework held lower lip to chin. So basically, this is where we learn that it's all a setup. Yeah, well first of all, the Cenobite says you're missing one piece, and it's him. He goes and stands among them. Now we are complete. And the Santos move together and they gather round him. And unfortunately, yeah, it turns out that Lenny has been setting up Ron. Yeah, so this is very interesting because basically Lenny uh, this whole time has hated Ron. Because rather than taking responsibility for running over Ron's wife and kid... Yeah, he blamed him for waving him out of the way and smashing him into the... Yeah, he so he's he's completely like I want to send you to hell. Yeah, and um, this buttons cenobite. It, there's a really interesting sort of backstory here, isn't there? So yeah, it turns out that Lenny used to live there, and uh, there was a, a priest, Padre Escalante, who summoned this cenobite, and he says buttons. We call him. Yeah, <laughs> it's a little nickname we gave him. Buttons. And uh, <laughs> Padre got flayed for his trouble, and they all left, but Lenny's come back. Yeah, so Lenny's actually made a huge error here because he ran off mm-hmm. and now he's thought, I'm going to take this Ron guy yeah. back and, and send him to hell. Whereas Button says, I swore none yeah. of you would escape if I could lure you back. Uh-oh. So that was a bit of a miscalculation. There's a nice moment here where Button says, you handle the Santos too, Leonardo. He's like, yeah, well, yeah, but he had him last. <laughs> yeah. But I knew you first. It's also a bit, Lenny turns into a bit of a petulant child. No, he's got him, he's got him. Yeah. It was him. Absolutely. Which is a really nice moment because you just we know that's not going to work. <laughs> You're yeah. not going to bargain with this guy. Um, so then we get hooks and chains, which is great. Yeah, and a really, really sad ending. Um, it is, actually, yeah, it's a really Ron's downbeat just ending. Actually. Got nothing, and he sort of says, "My turn." He's like, "Yeah, I and, can I?" Because uh, he's if if this yeah, if this is all over. He's back to nothing, and he just yeah. and buttons. He's like, 
No, maybe <laughs> one day. Yeah, so Buttons, again, the ultimate torture is actually not to take him. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and he's just going to say, one day you'll you beg to yeah. be let in. And then we'll see. Yeah, and Ron's and left. That's it. Rest alone. The emptiness he oh, faced yeah. was beyond measure. Oh, poor Ron. Poor Ron. Poor Another Ron. really good story. Yeah, very good. Uh, really enjoyable Excellent. and really interesting. And, uh, and a lot going on. There's a lot of plot in that short story. It's yes. really good. Yes. Very good. And now, next up, we have The Promise by Nancy Kilpatrick. Mm-hmm. The very first thing that jumped out at me is it's written in the second person. It's all you, and in the present tense, you do this and you do that. Yeah. Which is really unusual, mm. but very enjoyable. It took me a while to get into it. I wasn't quite sure if I liked it to start with. All right, okay. So basically, the main character, you, <laughs> you who's reading this, is part of a, a group of gothy people that used to hang around cemeteries when you were younger. Yeah. And now we're getting back together again for some kind of reunion, which is all a bit mysterious. We're not quite sure what's going on or why. Yeah, it's very foreboding. All yeah, this stuff, oh, definitely. It? It's yeah. all very kind of... Oh. You're going to a graveyard. And then the and then a guy turns up, Jeremy, and he's got a girl, Candy, with him who wasn't part of the, the group before. Candy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love this. Uh, uh, Karen. Once Shadow. Yeah, they all had their goth names. Uh, she was yeah. called Shadow. That's you, by the way. That's you. Yeah, you're, yeah. you're Karen. You were you're called Karen. Shadow when you were a goth. And they all gather together in this graveyard. Not quite sure. And it's, and it's quite nice. And, you know, it's, hey, what have you been doing? What are you up to? This sort of thing. And it, I, it was very well written, this. It really felt like a nice reunion. Yeah. There was a foreboding in the background, of course. but No, the characters are very well written. Mm-hmm. But then all of a sudden, we're going to a crypt. Mm-hmm. And Jeremy gets out some stones. He Well, he presses them on the wall in the correct order, like a pass key, yeah. pass code. And he opens a portal to hell. Yes, another the way hell, to get to What the hell, hell are you doing, Jeremy? <laughs> I know, yet another one. Yeah. I know. And Candy is a bit like, what's going on here? Yeah. But as we know, something bad's going to happen. And it does. It does. And Cenobites turn up. Three of them. Yeah. And these are great. These are brilliantly, <laughs> yeah, these brilliantly are described. The one on the left has no face. Scraps of putrid flesh cling to more breaks in bones than can be counted. Shards jutting insanely in all directions. It's really nice. Yeah, naked, skinless woman. Mm-hmm. Every muscle in her body sliced into precise strips that fan out from her skeleton. Wow. <laughs> the concentration camp thin. Eyes aren't human. And basically, it turns out they summoned these demons a while ago and they took one of them away. Yes. Uh, So, yeah, this is interesting. Jeremy's kind of like, we came back as you asked. And they're kind of like, you had to. Yeah, we didn't ask. We told you to do so. Yeah. Because Um, the last time there was Andrew who opened the portal and they took him away and they said they were going to come back at this exact time. And you've all got to be here. Yeah, so this is interesting. So you've basically got Andrew, who was, you know, a bit more extreme. Mm-hmm. He was actually putting hooks and stuff into his yeah. skin. Uh, and they Cenobites took him away, and he wanted to go. Yeah. He happily climbed he, into the <laughs> hole in the wall and went with them. And they can still hear him now screaming yeah, he's still in the there. background. <sighs> oh, and that, That's great. That's great. Yeah. 
And then it turns out Jeremy brought Candy along for a specific reason. Mm. Like, yeah, we said we'd give you someone and you can take her. There you go, have her. Which is brilliant. I, mean, I would love to see this in, in a movie. Because yeah. you can just imagine him going like, here she is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and her being like, what? Yeah, it's horrible. And then yeah. they say, oh, thanks for that. We will take her. And someone else as well. She is not the offering, but we accept. Yeah. Brilliant. We accept <laughs> this offering as well as the one we choose. I mean, and he's like, no, why? I brought her for you. Yeah. So Jeremy and Candy are off. Yeah, they're in. Yeah. Uh, and then we basically have the situation where the Cenobites say, you will come back again. Mm-hmm. 3,652 days, that is when you will all return. This time you keep your promise, do you agree? And they're yeah. all just like, yep. So they've been away for 20 years, and now they've come back, and this guy's saying, come back in 10 years. Yeah. And you, the reader, Shadow, you've, you're good with numbers, and you work out, hang on a minute, it's going to half every single time. Yeah. So 10 years, and after that will be five years, then two and a half years. And she works out, when there's only one left, it'll just be 90 hours before that person has to come back. Yeah. And that's really scary. It is, and, you know, it's it's again another way of them putting torture on them without doing anything. Mm-hmm. You know, the torture of, she's basically going to be the last one, she's going to live her whole life. Yeah. Um, thinking... And she works out that she's also, she, yeah, she's going to be the last one. It'll, yeah. be, it'll be her that has to come back in 90 hours. Yeah. Uh, and he's, I love what he says, your skill with counting will be interesting to explore. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So what the hell are they going to do to her? Don't know. Uh, but yeah, another really good story. Yeah, really I, like I mean, they're all great, you know. They're they all are. great, aren't they? Yeah. Um, really interesting, and I love the descriptions of the Cenobites in this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, pretty straightforward, but um, very... No, they're horrible still. Yeah, very horrible. It's good. It's good stuff. Right, and next up we have However, written by Gary A. Brownbeck and Lucy A. Snyder. Mm. We'll tear your ears apart. This one has a really interesting story that I've not really seen explored before mm-hmm. in the Hellraiser world. Yeah. Which we'll tell you about now. Good idea. <laughs> so there it starts with three people chained up in a basement. And basically this is one of those, you can imagine it as a horror film, one of those torture porn type modern horror films that are all a bit similar and a bit dull nowadays. Where yeah. they get people, they lock them up, and they do horrible things to them. But that's yeah. just the setup for this particular story. And this is great. Again, I'm really loving all this. You know, mm. they're kind of locked up in the basement of this house. And they're trying to escape. They're trying to escape. And they refer to the people that are doing the locking up as the cold ones. Mm. Because they say they could go out, every now and again, they go out for a couple of cold ones. Yeah. Um, and this is great because you find out, you know, through little bits here and there, mm. apart from the fact they've got them locked in their basement, yeah. they basically. Are a couple of serial killers. This, group, yeah, or, they just you know they go out and they capture people mm-hmm. and, and they just abuse them, abuse in them horrible ways, do horrible things to them. They were kept down here. They were used as toys, furniture, as ashtrays, as toilets, as objects to be abused in ways none of them had ever imagined, and now would never forget. Not very nice, Phil. Not nice. Those of you listening, don't do this sort of thing at home. Don't do it at home. But they also they can hear them talking upstairs, and they've heard them talking about a box. And they're intrigued by this. I'm intrigued. You should be. Yeah. Now, the interesting part is that, basically, they're just starving to death. Uh, yeah. Because the cold ones hardly ever feed them, very rarely. And so mm-hmm. they're making a bit of an escape attempt. Yeah. They can basically just get penny free. Yeah. 
for her to go and get some food. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Not That's the first object, is just yeah. to try and grab some kind of food from upstairs for the guys. The other thing we didn't quite mention is also that they videotape what they're doing every now and again. They sell them to other like-minded perverts. Oh, that's nice. Test, yes, but it's horrible. So anyway, they, um, they're they wondering if Penny can go out and get some food for them and maybe find the box. Because they've, yeah. they've heard them talking about it. And Lewis, the third one, he's worked out that it seems to give power. And he, Lewis is very good at solving puzzles. Great. Very good at solving puzzles. Good. He's very happy when Penny turns up with the box. And he grabs it. Yeah. And then there's a, one of these wonderful moments where it takes him a while to look at it and work out what's going on. Unlike the films, especially the later sequels, where you just look at it and touch it and it opens. Yes. He's there for a while, just like in the Hellbound Heart. And he eventually opens it, doesn't he, Phil? And this is actually, the box here is described as it is in the Hellbound Heart, as a black lacquered puzzle box. Yeah, yeah, which is nice. It's lovely. Mm. And then, click, it opens. But also, he works out, he starts to do it, and then he thinks, it's letting me open it. So it does have that sort of, come on, you can do it, you can do it. Yeah, it's, uh, it it wants to open, yeah. Yeah. And there's obviously, I mean, this is very tense, you know, because... You, you, it reminded me of misery, that kind of thing of like you've got to get out of the room, mm. get something, and get back in again. You know, yeah, 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 before yeah. they get back, because if these guys come back, oh yeah, definitely. You know, it's game over. They for come them. back and they find out they've got they're just, just going to kill them. Yeah. Definitely. So he's desperately trying to solve the puzzle box mm-hmm. before they get back, and then we get the little melody, yeah, tinkling melody, tinkling melody time, and it's uh, Cenobite time. Hooray! Hooray! And they turn up. Well, he turns up, it's one. Yeah. And he's referred to as a genie, because that's what Lewis thinks of him as. He's opened this box and there's a genie inside. Yeah. But the genie's not very nice. <laughs> there's a wonderful moment, a wonderful written moment here, where Lewis has to, he breaks up what makes this person horrible into, like, jigsaw pieces to make it less horrible to him. Yeah, and there are other Cenobites there, I believe, in the, in the sort of corners that he's kind of blocking yeah. out. He's glimpsing them. Yeah, and so this is it. Yeah, he's got. He's just basically taking in the whole scene, but just kind of s- splitting it up. Yeah. Uh, which is something he did to sort of get through all this horror that's mm-hmm. already been uh, <laughs> reeked on. Flayed skin that billowed out like a dress caught in an updraft. Nose is split down the centre and peeled backwards. Mm. Lovely. Bowels, yeah. bowels on the outside. <laughs> bowels on the outside. Uh, again, referred to as the Order of the Gash. Yeah, and so, they say, what do you want from us? Yeah, and that's great. You know, you've got one kind of asking, what do you want of us, worm? And another one behind, a tasty worm. Yeah. <laughs> Sweet meat. <laughs> Juicy to eat. Yeah. <laughs> uh, hook mouth. Hook mouth. What do you want? Help us get out of here. Why should we help you? And they're like, hey, we're not going to help you. We're going to take you to hell. Yeah. But then it all goes a bit wrong for the Cenobites. Yeah, so so this is interesting. This is brilliant. I really like this idea. It's really clever. Mm. Hookmouth goes to grab Lewis and freezes. Yeah, so basically he tries to grab Lewis, can't. Yeah. He sort of jumps back and they both kind of thrown back like a huge electric shock. It says Hookmouth was angry, yes, but more than that, shaken and confused. Yeah. And it's screaming. Yeah, yeah. And they're like, um, just get on with it, please. And they say we... We can't take you. This is interesting. We'd always known humans like you existed. Yeah, but I never imagined that we'd... So that's kind of like you can imagine the Cenobites in hell kind of yeah, talking about it, going, oh, rumor. you know. You know, I heard that I, uh, some <laughs> of them... Yeah. And basically, there's, he says, we can't take you, 
because there's nothing we can do to you that hasn't already been done or that you haven't already imagined. You have nothing to offer us. And that's really interesting. It is They've very been interesting. so tortured that these guys can't do anything to them that's worse. Um, I, think, I think they could try harder. <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty sure that they could. <laughs> well, but, I don't um, know, these cold ones. Yeah, it's... Uh, and so they just turn around and they're going to leave. That's it. Oh, exactly. Really disappointed. And then all of a sudden... You've no- and I love how it's, they're, they're like, you have nothing to offer us, you've wasted our time. You've wasted our they're time, actually yeah. annoyed at them. Yeah, like, oh, yeah. God, fine. Yeah. We're off. And then the cold ones turn up. Upstairs. Uh, and so the Cenobites stop for a moment, listen. Now, this is an interesting part as well. Where yeah. Where Hookmouth says, um, I shared your pain, thoughts and memories... I nearly envied your remaining here. Yeah. That would disturb me for a long time to come. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, it's lovely. Yeah, so he's he's loving the fact that they're leaving them. Again, yeah. another thing where they can inflict torture on you without actually doing anything. Definitely, yeah. Uh, so he's loving that they can leave you here. Nothing to bargain with you've got. And then they hear the cold ones come back. Mm-hmm. And of course, well... You have nothing to offer us. However... However... Dot, dot, dot. Brilliant. That's, yeah, it's a good one. Really good. Uh, again, lovely details. Um, really interesting setup. Mm, yeah, really makes great. you think, that one. Just great. Great. And one more, Phil. Only one more, and that's the whole book done. Wow. This one's called Tis Pity He's Ashore oh. by Chaz Brenchley. So this one's in the first person. Um, sailor, a sailor. Sailor Martin, he's called. And he's gone to meet someone called Johnny who sells some crazy things. Basically trinkets and things. He lives down by the marina or down by the sea. And he's got all these very odd things. And Martin likes strange things. Often goes to see what Johnny's got to offer. Yeah, so Johnny's kind of buying strange items from yeah. the people who come in from the ships and mm-hmm. stuff. To sell on. And there's a big storm coming. And Johnny's saying, you should be back to sea. And he's saying, no, I can't. Not until the storm blows over. Well, in that case, i got something for you. I might have something for you, sir. Yeah. And what he's got is a little compass. Mm. But each of the... And it's not pointing north, but it's pointing towards a symbol in the compass. Mm -hmm. There are four different symbols, Chinese symbols, which Martin doesn't know what they mean, but it's pointing towards one of them. And he's very confused, not Mm. quite sure what it is. Although Johnny says, it's a right compass. This will find you your way through hell. Like, okay, right. Doesn't point north, though, does it? So. No. <laughs> and so Martin takes it back to his hotel room. And it's interesting, but talking about Chinese characters, though, he says they don't work like an alphabet. We can spell out an unfamiliar word. If you don't know what the symbol is, that's it. You don't know it. Yeah. So he can't work out what it is. He's not quite sure what's going on. And also the interesting thing is Johnny says, I owe you some money, but take this instead. And he's like, okay, mm. that's fine. And so he's gone to a hotel. He's right at the top of the hotel mm-hmm. in a suite, looking at the compass. Not quite sure what to do with it. There's a typhoon coming. And there's a knock on the door, room service. And it's a young Chinese boy called Shen, mm. who's come with some food and also a bit more. Yes, Johnny sent him. So he says. And Martin, turns out Martin likes, likes the young men. Mm-hmm. And he's going to have some nice Chinese food and then some nice Chinese man. Yeah. So they have some food together. It's very nice. Mm-hmm. And then he's like, hey, why don't we... Uh... Well, before that, I've got this compass. Would you mind having a look at it and tell me what this means? 
And this is really interesting. So the characters at South is the character for sorrow, lamentation. The West is pleasure, East is pain or extremity. But the North one doesn't quite know what it means. As I'm not sure this is a true character. It's got bits from sorrow, bits from pleasure, bits from pain. It's sort of all three of them. Not quite sure there is a word like that. And that's really interesting. I love mm. that idea. Yeah. And so after he's found out that's what it means, they can't work out what it what it means or they go online until the internet connection goes down. And they can't work it out, so he thinks, well, never mind, let's have some fun. Takes off Shen's clothes and he's all scarred. He's covered in scars, disfigured. A checkerboard effect up his arms, across his chest, down his thighs and calves. Interesting. Mm. And he thinks, he says, if those scars weren't self-inflicted, they were surely administered by consent. But he's not embarrassed about them. He's saying, yeah, well, that's this is me, so there you go. Mm. Then they have some nice time together, some nice rude time. And then later on the night, Martin wakes up and Shen's out of bed, looking out the window, naked. And then he sees another figure beyond the glass. He thinks it's a reflection, first of all, mm. also naked. But it's not. The scars and the reflection are differently organised. Yeah. And it lifts its hand to the glass, whereas Shen isn't. And this is a really nice creepy moment. You can really see that. You can yeah, picture that. absolutely. And then Shen lifts his own hand, and then all hell breaks loose. The window blows in, blows out, blows away. And it's just gone. And the window's gone, and it takes Shen with it. He's gone yeah, as well. he's gone. All of a sudden, completely disappeared. And there's this huge storm, this huge typhoon going on outside, which, of course, now there's no window, comes mm. into the room yeah and blowing everything around taking things out and martin manages to get out eventually and this is this is quite well written all the things flying around the room yeah it's great it's never realized that the weight of things until they're flying towards him yes <laughs> and then the police turn up and the doctors they give him a, a large whiskey and a little pill which gives him a nice little sleep ask him lots of questions he has to be honest about it he thinks so he tells him there was if my friend was here mm-hmm. i'm not sure who he was really ask johnny so he thinks, I shouldn't really be telling him about Johnny, but, I mean, he could be charged with anything here. Mm. So he does decide to basically tell them to go and speak to Johnny. Yeah. And then he says, I better go. I'm just going to go and have a lie down. And But he sneaks back to the room he was in before, the one that window was blown out. Yeah. And he wants to get his stuff. Luckily, a lot of his stuff is waterproof because he's a sailor. So yes. it's not damaged. But also, what's there? The compass is no. still there. It didn't blow out. So he grabs it. He looks inside, but it's no longer pointing anywhere particular. It's just spinning around. Wherever Shen had been taken, you couldn't get there from here. Not anymore. So he takes it back to Johnny. Johnny also not having a good time. He's had a bit of a problem with this storm. Things broken. Someone broke in, he says, but nothing was stolen. And this is interesting, saying uh, he's he's annoyed, saying, why did you send the police to speak to me? Yeah. There was some whore boy, I don't know. And he's like, well, you what, didn't what, send what? him. You didn't? <laughs> no, I'm not your pimp. Yeah. Which he says was a lie, he's done it before. But mm. Shen wasn't sent by Johnny. Shen was sent by someone else. Mm. And he looks around for the compass, mm. and it's not there. Mm. No one had come, but it was gone. And I was somehow not surprised at all. No. And that's the end. There you go. Brilliant. I like that one as well. Yeah, it's yeah. Nice it's stories. another very well-written one, and it comes from a Full different... Full of action. Yeah, from a different angle, you know. Uh, it's not quite as sort of straightforward as some of the other ones. No. I mean, who is the... I mean, what happened, really, in that one? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm not really sure what happened. Or um, Obviously, the, the compass points towards hell or towards this mixture of 
pain and pleasure and sorrow. Mm. But I'm not quite sure who Shen is or what happened to him. Mm. Was he a... I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but I like... I mean, it's a very ambiguous one, and I quite enjoy that about it. I yes. Think. The one last thing we haven't really mentioned, if you're going to read the book, if you haven't read the book before, we've just completely ruined it for you. Yep. But there's also a foreword by Clive Barker and an afterword at the end by Doug Bradley. And they're really nice. They're really nice. Clive Barker is very... You know, very much like, hey, I wrote this, but it's a mythology and these guys have taken it and run with it and it's great. Yeah. And both of them, they, they, they sound very, just very sort of humble and pleased to be part of this world. And it's really nice, really lovely to read. Yes, yeah, it is lovely. It's And I mean, it's a great book. It's, it is you know, really, yeah, it's really it's good. Really, if you've got it at home and, you know, read it again because mm-hmm. it's, the stories, you know, they bear quite a few rereads. They're, they're really, really interesting. And yeah. there's so many little details in there that you, you get out of them. Mm. Fantastic. Very good indeed. So thank you, and many thanks to uh, Paul Kane and Marie O'Regan, who are the editors, it says here. So thank you to those guys. Very, very well done. It's yeah. a really nice collection. Brilliant. And that's it. We won't be talking about that one again. Oh. That is the end of Hellbound Hearts. Yes. But um, do let us know what you think of the book. Yeah, what do you think uh, of it? We're on Twitter, at HellraiserCast. We're on Facebook. You can email us, HellraiserPodcast, at hotmail.co.uk. Yeah. Get involved. Let us know what you think. Indeed. Nice one. So our next podcast will be another commentary. We're doing one every three podcasts. And it'll be Deader. Deader. Hellraiser number seven, Deader, which we both really like. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. That'll be good fun. It'll be good. So between now and the next one, everyone go back and watch Deader again. Yes. Which you should anyway. It's really good. In the meantime, thank you, Phil. Thank you, Peter. Indeed. And we'll see you all again very soon. See you soon. Bye.